0: The reality is that we live in a very individualistic culture, and it's a culture where really individual needs and rights typically come before the needs of the group or the community, and the person really a person's self-worth often hinges on their performance, the perfor- our performance and how we believe that others perceive us. That's kind of how an individualistic society works, and this really is in contrast to a communal society or collective society. Just a few minutes ago, last second, we found a little a grid, a little picture here to kind of illustrate what that looks like, where an individualistic society would be this guy over here, it's just really, I'm thinking about me, that's where the focus mostly is on me, where in contrast to a lot of other cultures, really most cultures in our world, where their identity is mostly by found in the community, Okay, in a group of people, it's where People are less less concerned primarily with themselves than than more with other people. That's just a lot of cultures. We were just talking about in the back there some of the things that we were just coming to our mind that we think would know other cultures. And you probably think about this too, other cultures that you know where family and identity with the group really is a focal point um, of their lives. In these kind of cultures, a person's self-worth really is determined by their interconnectedness with other individuals. And this is really interesting because really the Bible talks about and tells us that as followers of Jesus, we are created. We're actually created in such a way that we only truly thrive in life. And we only truly thrive spiritually and we mature spiritually when we are in the living our lives in the context of community. Pastor and author Tim Keller writes, only if you are part of a community of believers seeking to resemble, serve, and love Jesus will you ever get to know him and grow into his likeness. So as we continue our series today on Back to the Basics, we're going to be looking at the topic of community and fellowship. And so in today's passage in the book of Acts, we're going to see how through really the work of the divine work of the Holy Spirit, how the early church really gave us a really wonderful model of true Christian community and how that is practically lived out. So I'd like to read that whole passage for us, and then we're going to kind of break it down and look at it a little bit. So if you turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47, the words will be up on the screen to follow along also. It says, and many and with many other words he, Peter, the Apostle Peter was talking here, bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it teaches us, it admonishes us, it challenges us. And we pray for that this morning, God. I pray that my words would be the words that you give me, the Holy Spirit, God, that you would speak through me, that your word would go out strong to all of us, Father, Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. Someone is awake today. Hi. Oh, got a great smile. Good. <laughs> awake all night. Now you're supposed to be sleeping. So excited to be here. All right, well, let's start, let's start off. Let's break this down a little bit. Verse, let's look at verses 41, 40 and 41 first. It says, With many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves. From this crooked generation, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls. So here's what's happening here. Here we see the apostle Peter. This is the apostle Peter talking here. What's happening is this is the end of a long speech that the apostle Peter has given that starts up back at the very first verse, verse one of this chapter. And his his speech really is what it is. It's a response to the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. See. There was about 120 believers. Okay, this 120 believers were gathered in a room. They are gathered at this house, and this was shortly after Jesus had ascended and gone back into heaven. And all of a sudden, many of you know the story. All of a sudden, this sound, this rushing of a rushing wind, filled the room that they were in, and they, it was kind of like that. And they all had their, and they were. They it says that these these tongues of fire. Kind of came upon on tops of their head. It looked looked like tongues of fire on top of each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's something interesting. They all began declaring God's greatness in all these other languages. All these different languages, really, of the people that kind of Jerusalem, especially at this time, because it was a time of the feast, a holy uh, uh, celebration, There was people of all sorts of different ethnicities and languages in the city of that time, and people began to praise God in those actual languages. And when those people started to hear them speak in their own languages, it says that they were astonished, and really what they thought is they thought they were all drunk. They thought that they were, okay, these guys are all drunk, there's no way, this is normal, this can't be happening, it's not impossible. And that's when Peter stands up. Peter stands up and addresses the crowd, and he gives this. I encourage you to go back and read his speech. It's an incredible speech, especially if you think of just where Peter had just come from, from this guy that denied Jesus just a few days earlier. And he gives up and gives this incredible speech where he's, he's quoting from the Old Testament prophecies about how Jesus was the coming Messiah and how that they had actually rejected him and they had tortured him and they had murdered him. Well, when the people heard this, the Bible says that they were cut, to the heart. What that means is they were they were literally overcome with emotion. They were like, it it just hit them. And they ask, What should we do? Oh my goodness, what should we do? And Peter tells them, you need to repent. What that means basically you need to return from your unbelief of Jesus and be baptized in his name for the forgiveness of your sins. And we see this is incredible. Instantly The church goes from 120 people, 3,000 people. That's an incredible day of work by the Holy Spirit, I must say. Could you imagine that? They'd never seen that. This is the first time anything like that had ever happened. 120 people, 3,000. I couldn't imagine. Now, this was no small thing either for these 3,000 people. Not only did they believe, but they went ahead and they repented of their disbelief of Jesus, and they they were baptized. You see, by gladly receiving this message of salvation and acting upon it by being baptized, these people were actually doing something huge. They were breaking away from the rule of the religious leaders of that day who had tremendous power back then. Tremendous power over your life, over your business, over so many things. So what they were going to need, they were going to need a community of people that would help them to walk through this new identity and help them to understand the new identity that they had as followers of Jesus. It was going to be essential. Now in verse 22, in verse 42, we're going to see four essential elements of Christian community that are immediately present in the new church okay this isn't an exhaustive list this isn't the only ones but these are the ones that were the most prominent these four were prominent from the very beginning then at the remainder of the time after we do that we're going to talk a little bit about that, the impact what the, what's the impact of these four elements so let's jump into them look at verse 42 verse 42 said and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to the prayers now you understand. This word, this phrase, they devoted themselves. This has this idea, not that they thought, oh, that's kind of a good idea. No, they persisted at it. I mean, they had to do it. It was this ongoing thing that they felt like they had to be involved in. They so wanted to be involved in. They wanted to get themselves fully immersed in this. Okay? So it says it's something that it's essential. This was essential for them to be involved in. So the first thing we see um were developed uh we, there's thing that we see devoted to was the apostles' teaching that was the first thing the apostles' teaching now these new converts they had just three thousand of them just imagine three thousand hungry babies, <laughs> okay three thousand spiritually hungry babies they were starving, they wanted to know they wanted food they wanted to, they wanted to eat. Okay. They were hungry to come to learn about the person and the work of Jesus and all that he had said he had done and all this, all that he had said he was about. And this was important because in a few chapters later, we're going to see how these new believers are going to begin to experience opposition to their faith. Okay. This is also important for us today. This is so important for us today because the message here is that you and I need to be hungry for coming together to learn God's word because we live in a world and we have a sinful nature that fiercely opposes biblical principles. We need to be, want to be hungry for doing like what we're doing now. I mean, it's so, isn't it easy? It's so easy to become complacent about learning God's word, especially in situations like this. It, it become, it's so easy to become anemic or weak in our faith. So a lot of, oftentimes we'll uh, we'll have a, we get complacent, we think, you know what, yeah, I've heard it all, I know that, you know, I've, I've heard it many times before, blah, 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 I've heard that passage taught, or they're going to do that Bible study, whatever, but well, that's a trap. That's a, tra- it's a trap, it is a trap, it's a trap, <laughs> sorry, those things that happen to me, um, It isn't. It's a big trap of the enemy who wants us, like I said, to become anemic or weak in our faith. If he just gets us to think, that's not important. That's not a big deal. The writer of Hebrews, in warning against spiritual immaturity and what that can lead to, says this. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is un, unskilled in the word, in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So we see here that learning God's word that coming together and continually learning God's word gives us this discernment, okay? It gives us discernment and ability to distinguish between good and evil. So often we think, oh, I got this down. I know what's good. I know what's bad. You got to understand the devil doesn't work. Doesn't, he doesn't work by saying, okay, oh, you know what's bad. Okay, you're probably not going to do it. Is that how he works? He sneaks in. Okay, I got the door covered. He sneaks in through the vent. He does, and he comes in somewhere to say, you know what, I'm going to deceive you, and pretty soon we're doing things, but wait, how did I get here? That happens when we stop continually coming together and learning from God's Word. That's why our priority here, our priority on Sunday mornings, is to give you and to teach from this pulpit solid food from God's Word. Not just to talk about God's Word, but to really study it and dig into it and dive into it. Because if we don't do that, we will become weak and anemic in our faith. I want to encourage you to really make coming together a priority, coming together to to, teach God's Word, to make it a priority to be present whenever you know that God's Word is going to be taught, come as often as possible. And here's the other thing. Don't just come. Be all there. I want to encourage you, when you walk in to church, Ask the Holy Spirit, because this is what he does. Ask the Holy Spirit, okay, Holy Spirit, what have you got for me? Teach me. Well, just come in assuming I've been a Christian, I, I know how to receive, I know how to get, I know how to understand. Ask the Holy Spirit, what do you have for me? Because the reality is we walk in here with a lot of other stuff. And we stay here with other stuff. We were praying back in the back, the worship team, we, were, we always pray before we come out. And our number one prayer today was everybody was feeling like there was a sense of distraction. Not at the beginning, but during a lot of times. During while things are happening. So that's why it's important that we ask God to help us. And then we're part of things when they come up. Pretty soon we're going to be announcing a women's Bible study that we're going to be starting here on Wednesday nights. That is going to be some meaty, good, solid, biblical teaching. We encourage you women to be at that. To come to that. Men, come to the men's Bible study. Whenever you can, meet with somebody do it. But it comes when there's going to be a time of teaching. Come to those things. So the next element, let's look at the next one. Next element for of community that we see is fellowship. Okay, the word here for fellowship, we, many of you know, is koinonia, which means really it means having or sharing in common. Now, in this context, it has to do with a shared common experience of these believers. It's this deep connection that these believers are having with one another. It's very, very deep. Now, this term fellowship I gotta admit, it's mis, often misused and misunderstood a lot, isn't it? Um, fellowship of the Ring. All that, but that's not bad, but I'm saying a lot of times we think of fellowship, we think, oh, I got together, we had fellowship. Really, it means so much more than just coming together to watch a game or hang out together or go shopping or, sorry, Lee, go golfing. You know, so I know he's shocked. Um, there's more, it's so much more than that. What, as followers of Jesus, what we have in common. We have in common this intimate connection with God. It's an intimate connection that we have in common. So sure, doing life together, you know, includes watching games, going, watching a game, going golfing, going shopping, hanging out together. That, that's part of doing life together and it's important. But true fellowship happens as we connect with each other believers in an intimate way. That is true fellowship. True fellowship happens as we learn and we begin to meet each other's spiritual, emotional, and physical needs as the Holy Spirit prompts us to exercise our mercy and our generosity and to encourage one another. In his classic work on community, if you're interested at all in the topic of community and fellowship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a great little book called Life Together. In this short one sentence, he writes this, in the presence Of a psychiatrist, I can only be a sick man. In the presence of a Christian brother, I can dare to be a sinner. That's fellowship. That is fellowship. Next element. Next element of community that we see is the breaking of bread. Now, this really is a reference to taking communion, okay, or what many people can call the Lord's table. Um, communion, as you know, is about remembering Jesus' death and his resurrection and looking forward to what he's going to do and his return. It's about remembering what Jesus did for us and celebrating what we receive because of the sacrifice he has made. You know, we should never, ever take lightly the opportunity to take communion together. I know many churches that do it every single Sunday. Every Sunday. I was thinking, wow, that would kind of get old. Well, in the wrong mindset, it could. But in other ways, wow. Coming together as a group of believers and every single Sunday taking communion, it's a good idea. It's a really neat thing. All right, last element. Element of community that that we see is prayer. This is something you got to know that Luke emphasizes really throughout the entire book of Acts here. And this emphasis on praying together, really what it comes from, this emphasis that Luke has in this book comes from his realizing this utter dependence on God, what was so necessary in his life. He understood this and he saw that early church realized, oh my gosh, if we're not praying, we're dead. We have to pray. Concerning the community that prays and the, with an emphasis of prayer, this one commentator I read this week, he said this, he said, it's like, it's, it's a community seeks God's direction. And is dependent upon God because God's family of people do not work by feelings or intuition, but by actively submitting themselves to the Lord's direction. You know, I've said this many times from up here. I strongly believe that as a church, we need we need to be able to discern God's will for us. We need to be able to understand where he's taking us. And the only way we can know God's will for this church and the direction he wants to take us is going to be when we gather together and pray. Did I say that loud enough? When we gather together together and pray. There's another church in this town. I know they do that every church, every service in Sunday in their Sunday morning service. It's a part of their service. They have prayer requests and they just stop and they pray as a group, as a church. That's a fantastic idea. But I believe that's how we're going to know how, where God is sending us. So I want encourage you to get involved. No guilt here, but get involved when you can in the different ways that we are praying for our church because we know that that's the only way God is really going to move. We have our nine o'clock time that we pray. We'll have people up here afterwards to pray for those that need prayer. We have our prayer chain. We have so many ways that you can get involved in prayer. I encourage you to do that. Thursday night's another fantastic way to get involved with the prayer. I want to encourage you to do that, to get involved in these things, because that's how God's going to move. You're saying, what's going on with our church? I wish our church would. Well, are you coming together to pray? Come together. Let's pray. Okay? Now let's look at the impact. Let's look at the impact that these four elements of, of, of community have. Let's start with verse 43. He says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Well, so, so the first thing that we see here, the first thing we see is this sense of awe that came upon everyone. Now this awe, this is like, it's like this reverent fear. Okay, it's more. It's more than just saying, "Oh my gosh, that's cool. That was awesome." It's more than just going, "Whoa!" It's this oh. awe. It's it's just, actually it's a reaction. It's this at reaction that causes a person to be visibly shaken. Okay, something was happening, and the people were literally going, "Oh my gosh!" Have you ever had that happen before, where you see something or think about like if you've ever seen anybody ever seen like a traffic accident happen? I saw a traffic accident. I was, I was at a at an intersection filling up gas. This was years ago when I lived in L.A. And a siren, I heard the woo-woo, a siren coming down. And he was flying. I went, oh, okay. A car came into the intersection. I'd never seen someone get hit that hard in my life. I was visibly, sh- I think I probably left the ground. I was visibly shaken when I saw that. That's what they sang with a sense of awe. Something so big happened that they... They were literally, something happened to them. It was, it was powerful. Uh, this sense of awe is something that visibly shakes people. And when we add to it this sense of awe, that the fact that the apostles here, it says the apostles were actually doing, they were they were performing signs and wonders. They were doing these incredible, incredibly astonishing things. They were they were ca- causing people to be healed. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I've seen a, a, a traffic accident, but I've never seen. Can you imagine if someone came up here that was blind and we did ha- we healed and God healed them? I said, let's whatever however that works. We prayed for healing, and this person got healed. Or someone comes up on a wheelchair; and they haven't walked for years and years and years, and all of a sudden they get they get up and walk. That would be amazing. Would there be awe in this room? Of course there would be awe in this room. I would be more surprised than anybody because I'd be like, I'm Well, what the heck is God doing? So awesome. But this is what was happening to those people. The apostles were displaying supernatural power that caused people to go, what? Demons were being cast out. Blind people were, wa- were seeing people, were lame people were walking. People were in awe. It was just amazing. But what about today? We don't have the apostles anymore. We don't have the apostles doing miracles and performing signs and wonders for us to be in awe of God. But you know what? We know that God can perform miracles in any way he wants. He could could do whatever he wants and whatever he sees fit. The point is, are you and I in awe of God, given all that we know in Scripture and all that's been done for us and all that we see God doing in other people around us and with other believers? True Christian community helps us to be in a continual state of awe and wonder of who God is and what he's doing in the life of individuals and in the community. That's one of the reasons we gather together. It keeps that sense of awe like, oh my gosh, I've been a Christian for 30 years and I'm more in awe than I ever was. That happens in community. That's why it's so important. All right, another way that the four elements of community had an impact was their mutual caring for one another. Look at verses 44 and 45. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now when it says that all the believers had all things in common. This doesn't mean that they all had the you know the same likes and the same interests. It also doesn't mean that they were trying to establish communist establish this communistic society where no one owns everything. It's everything belongs to everyone. That's not what they were doing. That's not what he's what he's saying here. These people were still very much individuals with their individual likes, with their individual desires and tastes and interests. And they were still free to own stuff if they wanted to, and that was totally fine. What we what this means is that these people, what they did, they made everything that they had available for the meeting of each other's needs. They say, you know what what I got, if God prompts me to use that to meet someone's needs, it's gonna happen. That's what this that's what he's talking about here. The needs of the community were the main motivation for sharing their stuff, for sharing what they have. They were, and they were to, even to the point where they were selling. Can you imagine that? People selling. I got some property. I got some stock. And like, I'm going to sell that off because I see a need. That's what happens. That, that's what they, t- they wanted to help meet the needs of the people. And this wasn't just a one-time thing either. The wording here that he says really denotes that this was something that was ongoing. People couldn't wait to keep doing it more and more and more and give. They were, they were excited about it. A couple chapters later that we see that after their numbers had actually grown to over 5,000, they were still doing it. They just couldn't stop. It's not like they go, okay, we got enough people now. We must have the needs met. They kept on doing it. Look at Acts chapter 4, verses 32 says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common and with great power, The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. They just kept going. Like I said, it wasn't out of obligation. They didn't have to do it they just wanted to do. See, this, these people understood that God had been so generous to them, so generous, saving them from the sin. There's no, they just couldn't help but being generous to other people in meeting their needs. You see, sacrificial giving, sacrificial giving is one of the many results of the Spirit of God entering a person's life. When you become a believer, when you're a believer, you want to, sacrificial giving becomes something you love to do. And it just it's 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 joyful, it's wonderful. not just giving sacrificial giving becomes a joy, and many of you in this room know exactly what that feels like. I believe that this is a challenge for really for all of us. We live in a very very materialistic society, don't we? instead of making sure that our own needs are being taken care of, that we have the latest comforts and the latest conveniences we We need to be looking more to the needs of others in our church and in our community. That's what the Spirit of God does. Some, practic- some practical ways that we can do that really are uh, giving uh, to the needs presented by the church here. We presented, I was blown away by you guys. We presented a need. We have a sound system that's in the mail right now. A sound- new sound system that we're going to use for our church and for the school here. It's on its way. We raised over $10,000 in such a short amount of time. You guys were phenomenally, I, I mean, I- the generosity was amazing. And I know for you that came from a desire to give sacrificially to a need that we had. Another way to do that, Gary Kong, here I go. The blessing box, but <laughs> he's pointing to it already. That's his, that's his thing, man. The blessing. We have a little box back there. We've tried to make it as uh, inconspicuous as possible so you don't see it. But it's a box that you can actually, that what we do, this is a box that we use for you can donate money that goes specifically. If someone comes, they have a need, groceries, rent, whatever it is, that's where that money goes. You can drop money in there to take care of that. You can also your, you can donate your time or a skill that you have right on a piece of card. I do this or I have this or what I have this extra car. I have this time or I have this skill. You can donate, put it in there. And when that need comes up, we can send that person right to you. That's just a couple ways that you can do that. Is that good, Gary? Thanks. Okay. So yeah, so that's one another one. Okay. Third way. Third way that the four elements of community had an impact um, was authentic worship. Look at verse 46. He says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So we see here that since regular attendance, really these people were already, as Jews, they were already going to the temple on a regular basis for prayers. What they did is they just continued to do that. They just kept on going, but with a whole new perspective now. They just kept the, pra- they just kept the practice going. Okay, But what we notice here, what we see is that they also extended this worship, not just to the temple, but they started overflowing where? Exactly. They started going into people's homes. Just being at the temple wasn't enough. Just going to church on Sunday wasn't enough. They took communion together. They ate meals together in each other's homes. These people just didn't go to church. They lived church. That doesn't mean that, okay, I got to be at church at every single event. That's, I got to be there. No, they wanted, they embodied who the church was and it overflowed into their homes. For them, church wasn't just a once a week gathering, it was a part of their everyday lives, which included being in each other's homes. And this came to my mind. See how much that goes against our individualistic culture, or individualistic society? You don't naturally think of, okay, who can I have in my home tonight? Who, Where can I go? I can't wait to get go to someone's home. I can't wait to have someone in my home. There's cat hair on the couch. We can't do it tonight. I have cats on the couch. It's always the latter. Um, really, we don't think that way a lot of times. But other cultures that that's where they get their identity, you gotta know they're thinking about it all the time. Let's get together. We lived in a Latin country for a year and a half. And I gotta tell you, it was amazing to watch how the people, I don't think anybody was ever alone. There were always groups of people everywhere. At night, the streets were full of people, their little plastic chairs, everybody sitting out on the street, just hanging out, music blaring, but hanging out and talking together and being together. It made, it, that's what they had to do it made so much sense to them to be together. And that's what these people were doing. So how does this translate to us today? Today, I believe that this translates in a way that we need to see church more than just a Sunday morning gathering. If really all we do is come to church on Sunday, but we're not meeting regularly with other believers in a home or somewhere somewhat intimate for prayer and study of God's word, Our church experience, really, it's going to be like someone giving us this fresh-baked pie, wonderful pie. And all we do with it is we smell it, maybe nibble a little bit on the crust, and that's it. We never do any more than that. We don't even savor the full slice that we could totally have. We're missing out on the good stuff. That's what it's like to just come to church only on, now this isn't a slam on, you know, different stages of life. I totally understand that. It's so hard to come to things. I get that. But these people modeled for us. The early church modeled for us what true community was about. Now notice when they got together, their hearts were glad, it says. This word glad literally means exuberant joy. These people loved to be together. They loved it. And once again, it wasn't because they were all alike. That's what we normally do, right? We find the people that are just like us that don't annoy us at all. And you know, they they're like us. We say, These are my people. And this, these alone. Well, that's not why these people, they didn't, that wasn't the basis for their gathering. Not at all. They could not wait to be together because the sense of intimacy and connection that they shared because of their relationship with Jesus and the joy of true fellowship, even with people that were completely different than them and even unknowing them. There was still joy in coming together. All right, fourth way. Fourth and final way that four, the four elements of community had an impact was an impact on those outside of the church. Look at verse 47. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number, Day by day, those who are being saved. So you see, you see here that this vibrant new community was having an impact on their community, on their outside community. This sense of awe, this mutual caring for one another, this authentic worship, what it did is it overflowed into the surrounding community. These early Christians, what was happening is they were gaining positive reputation with the members of their community. People saw, wow, we want to be around those people now. Check out the results. What happened? The Lord added to their number every once in a while. Day by day, those who were being saved—I could not imagine. Would love to teleport to that time when people were just coming to salvation like left and right, constantly. Must have been amazing. Now, this is the kind of impact, though, that true Christian community and fellowship can have on the greater community. When they come and contact us, they'll say, wow, what's different about you people? You as an individual, I like, but you as a people, I really like. That's what he's saying here. It's because we, as we saw what's going to happen here, these they had this great positive impact, but what happens is this doesn't stick around, though. This doesn't stick around. This is where we. This is where the caveat comes for us. We know that this positive view doesn't stay, right? We know this positive view of them kind of goes away. Actually, it goes away pretty quick. A couple chapters later, we're going to see, and this is why we stu- remember we studied First Peter. <laughs> what was that book all about? Persecution that Christians were facing. Now these guys had an infectious witness. But we see later that it is dead; it dissipates because we saw as we, we looked in First Peter, the Christian life is very counterculture, and will often be very offensive to people. Look at First Corinthians, chapter one. Says this: "For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God." The point is, you guys, it's it's okay, and it's right actually that the message of the gospel is offensive and foolish to those that are not yet followers of Jesus. It makes perfect sense. We have it in the Word right there. We should expect that. And I'm constantly amazed when, as Christians, we're shocked when the world outside of the church doesn't like what we believe. It makes perfect sense. So when people are living a lifestyle or something like that 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 seems counter to what the Bible says, don't go, oh, that's too bad. We should go, that makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't that happen? It's because this this counter-culture-ness is really, is really different. Here's the deal. It's not okay. It's okay that the message, it's okay that when we say things and we know that people are going to be offended by it. It's okay, though, but it's not okay for us to be offensive. It's not okay for us to be offensive in how we share our faith and the way that we live our life as Christians. Let me put it this way. In essence, it's okay for the message to be offensive, but not the messenger. Okay. It's totally okay that what we have to say offends people. They think it's stupid. They think it's foolish. What are you thinking, believing that? That is right and normal. But it's not right for us to be offensive in how we come across and how we live our lives and how we do community. Okay. You see, we share, we share Christ by not only what we say, by often, but oftentimes, more importantly, by showing the transformation that has occurred in our lives and how that plays out as we live in community and as we live in fellowship with one another. It's my dream and my prayer ever since coming to Pacifica eight, nine months ago that the community and the fellowship that we experience as a body of Christ here at Coastside Community Church will have a tremendous impact on Pacifica and the surrounding cities. And you got to know we're praying that same thing for the multiple churches that are, that are all around us. We just did that this morning in our prayer time. We prayed for new life this morning. We prayed for Jonathan Yields' church over about, what's it called, Seaview. We pray for Seaview. We pray for Dennis's church over here. We pray for the church, local churches of this area that the same thing would happen. That our, by the way we do community and why we fellowship will have a great impact on the cities around this city and places around us. Now, at this point, you might be saying, you might be saying, okay, Rob, that's great. This is all well. This is all good. I get it. But you gotta understand, I really don't enjoy being around people a lot not my thing or maybe you maybe you're more of an introvert you're an introvert and the, just the thought of connecting with people at an intimate level on a regular basis your t- stomach's churning right now that's just not that's not doesn't jive with you or maybe you're like the novelist i read this week the novelist john steinbeck who once said he liked people better in his mind than he did in person <laughs> maybe that's you or maybe you just think you're too busy. I got a busy life. I can't go to these things. I can't come together all the time. And really, there's nothing that really meets my need. That that group is kind of not for me. Those guys or those gals or whatever. that's just not, they're just way too different than I am. Really, for you and everyone else, something very important that we haven't talked about yet needs to be recognized. All of the things that happened that we have looked at, everything that happened here, it only happened after the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to indwell all believers. What this means is that all of it, everything that happened, all this stuff I told you was so exciting, I'd love to teleport back to you and see, all that stuff only happened because of the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how it happened. True Christian community and fellowship does not happen without the grace, the mercy, and the power, and the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. He is the one that helps us and causes us to connect to each other in ways that we never could. He's the one that makes allows me and helps me to be able to connect with the guy that just bugs me. But we share that common bond, so I can't wait to get together with him. That's how it works. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's an amazing thing. He's the one who causes our fellowship and our community to be sweet and intimate. He's the one that does it. You don't have to worry. What do I do? What do I say? I don't jive with them. let invite the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit just take it. Just show up. To both the introvert and to the extrovert, which personally I'm both. I'm a combo. The Holy Spirit needs to be given room and trusted to be in control of the outcome and the results of our getting together. Our role is just to be obedient and allow him to lead. Allow him to lead. It might not be comfortable. That's fine. But allow the Holy Spirit to lead you in places and lead you into relationships that on your own you would never thought about doing. You will be blown away. What God will do in those in those situations, I think all three thousand five thousand people all said, "Wow, we're all just alike. This is awesome. No way, who knows what neighbor that absolutely drove the other neighbor nuts now or eat at each other's house because of what they had in common in their relationship with Jesus. That's an amazing, amazing thing. So how important is Christian community once again, I want to quote Tim Keller here that says he says in his in his book center church he says. The essence of becoming a disciple is, to put it colloquially, becoming like the people we hang out with the most. Just as the single most formative experience in our lives is our membership in a nuclear family, so the main way we grow in grace and holiness is through deep involvement in the family of God. Christian community is more than just a supportive fellowship. It's an alternate alternate society. And it is through this alternate human society that God shapes us into who and what we are. Let me leave you with the verse that um, I think is really good motivation for us to help us to put aside our excuses for not being a part of true community and fellowship. Many of you are familiar with Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another. To love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some in the habit, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing. In. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this great example of how to do church, of how to allow your Holy Spirit to lead and guide and for giving us really an institution But really, even a way of doing life more so that helps us to encourage us to be more and more like Jesus, which is what our, that's our desire, God. If I pray for our church that we would be a community of people that come together because of our common bond and love for Jesus, that we would reach out to those that maybe we normally wouldn't because, but because of this relationship we have, we just really enjoy this sweet community, God. And thank you. Thank you that this is a supernatural thing that you allow us to be a part of <laughs> what a great great God you are your sons name, pray. amen Let's stand this was